your Bibles, why don't we grab them and turn together to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. As we study God's Word together this morning, we've been going verse by verse through Luke's Gospel and began the 13th chapter last week, left off in verse 9. So this morning we're going to pick back up in Luke 13, verse 10, and we're going to go down as far as verse 16. And if you're turning together with me, would you stand out of respect for the Word of God as I read our portion of Scripture for Bible study. Luke 13, beginning in verse 10, regarding Jesus, tells us, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity eighteen years, and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. And the Lord answered and said to him, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for eighteen years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Father, we humbly ask this morning as we open the word of God that you would just help us now to continue in a time of worship as we've sang and prayed and fellowship together. Lord, we know that this time is just as much an act of worship as we open up our hearts to receive from the Word of God, Lord, that we're standing on holy ground and that there are things that you want to say to each and every one of us who are assembled this morning. So would you give us an ear to hear what your Spirit would say to this part of your church that's assembled in this place this morning, that we would have eyes to see what you want us to and a heart that's willing to receive what you would say to us. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and that he would minister to us and help us to hear those things that we need for you to speak into our lives. So bless your word. Lord, you know what we need and exactly what we're asking. And we pray that you would do such now in this time. And we thank you in advance for that. In Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, one of the wonderful things about our Lord Jesus is that he is indeed a great liberator. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, not only wants to, but he has the power to deliver us from crippling influences in all of our lives. To be able to set us free and to liberate us. I love verse 13. I kept meditating upon it this whole week where there in verse 13 it says that Jesus laid his hands on this woman. And I love the language. It says, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And I think that one verse there really sets the tone of this whole passage we're looking at, reminding us so powerfully how Jesus transforms people's lives. That one touch of Jesus, one encounter with Jesus, and lives can be transformed. Jesus wants to help people, and Jesus can straighten things out in all of our lives. In the same way, this woman who had been bent over for all those years in one encounter with Jesus, everything was straightened out in her life. And I believe the Lord Jesus has the power to and the desire to do the same in all of our lives. Ultimately, he wants to do such in all of our lives in a way whereby also it would lead us 
to the same as in this situation where we would have gratitude towards God where in a way that we ourselves personally and others who are witnessing the work of God in our lives would rejoice over all the glorious things that have been done by him. We take note in this passage that Jesus will liberate this individual woman from her physical and spiritual sufferings that had existed for 18 years. She had been in this condition and could do nothing to help herself and no one could help her either to change her situation. And we'll see as well in the same passage as we see the response of the synagogue ruler that I think Jesus is seeking to liberate him as well, to set him free from a religious mindset that was honestly extremely an unloving theological perspective. That he was just as bound as her and needed to be set free from a few things himself. Look with me again back in the 10th verse as our story opens up. It tells us in verse 10 that Jesus was teaching, it says, in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. So our story opens up with Jesus there in this scene and he's ministering on the sabbath day in one of the jewish gathering places for worship in one of their synagogues in their weekly gathering now again the sabbath is basically that old testament day according to the law where jews were instructed by god to cease from their regular labors and to rest and to basically set that time aside in order to assemble for corporate worship of their god as well as to receive spiritual learning that they might know how to live for their God and how to walk in right fellowship with him. And the synagogue was the gathering place in the local community where they would assemble together corporately to do this. So on that Sabbath day, they would assemble in the synagogue, in the local community, for worship services. And a synagogue service, interestingly enough, Included times of prayers that would be spoken from the front as well as people as well would engage in prayer throughout the meeting. As well as during that time there were scripture readings from the Old Testament and then ultimately a time of exposition or teaching from whoever the rabbi was that was present that day, whether a guest or a regular rabbi, who would then give an exposition from the scripture text or one of the scripture texts that were read during the synagogue service. And we read in the gospel accounts that it was the custom of our Lord Jesus during the time of his earthly ministry, it was the custom, it tells us of Jesus, to attend synagogue every Sabbath. In other words, during the time of Jesus' humanity on this earth, when he lived in a body of flesh as a man, it was the lifestyle pattern of the Lord Jesus to regularly attend the public gathering with his fellow Jews to assemble for times of worship. Now that says something to me. You know, we sometimes, if we just have a hangnail, find an excuse not to assemble for church or, or go to public gatherings. It was the habit of Jesus. It was his custom to regularly attend. I know I saw the light blink. The devil has always ways to distract you. Stay here. <laughs> it, it was the custom of Jesus to regularly gather. Now, if God felt the need to go to church... That gives me a pretty strong conviction that I should probably assemble for times of worship as well if it was the custom of Jesus. And because Jesus was a traveling rabbi, as he would move around and visit different synagogue services throughout Israel, when Jesus was present as a very prominent rabbi and teacher in that day, many times when he was present at a synagogue, he was often asked to teach the people to share from the Word of God, to be the one to give instruction and spiritual insight. That's why we read here in verse 10 that as would many times be the occasion that Jesus was not only present in the synagogue, but it says, verse 10, he was actually the one teaching in that synagogue on that particular Sabbath day. And no longer, obviously, is Jesus physically here present among us. But honestly, I don't think the heart and the desire of Jesus has changed an ounce. In the same way when he walked upon this planet in a human body of flesh and many a times wasn't just present in the synagogue but was the one teaching, the one instructing, the one speaking to people in the assemblies of worship, I believe Jesus, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, has the exact same desire that today he wants to be the one teaching in the house of God. 
that he wants to be the one speaking to people in corporate assemblies and times of worship. That it would indeed be ultimately Jesus who's the one teaching when people assemble for worship. By that I mean this, that of course by the Spirit of God, that when the ministry of the teaching of God's Word is taking place, when people assemble for worship, that there would be an experience whereby we sense or we say something along this line, you know what? I really heard from the Lord today. The Lord really spoke to me. And, and, and I, re I really heard something from the Lord. And I know the Lord was speaking to me and that the Lord was teaching me. Point being that it would never be a situation where we find ourselves instead saying, you know, that was a really stimulating presentation by that pastor or by that preacher. And boy, that was, that was, that was a good presentation. And the way he does those presentations, that it wouldn't be that, but instead it would be a sense in our spirit, each one of us, where we are saying, you know what, I really heard from the Lord today, and it just seemed that that which was received from the Lord was just delivered to us. And I really heard from the Lord today. And I say that for this reason. I think our experience should be like exactly the same way in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, where you see Jesus giving a timely word to seven different congregations and speaking to them as a gathering locally exactly what they needed to hear. And that's vital because when Jesus is the one teaching us and Jesus is the one speaking to us, would you agree that has a much more powerful effect? That has a much more potent impact in our lives because Jesus always speaks the direct truth in the exact way that we need to hear exactly what it is that God wants us to hear. And when the word of the Lord is coming forth to us from himself, it's powerful and it has a potency to it and a way with authority to personally speak something to our soul with an authority like nothing else when it's indeed the Lord himself who's the one ministering and speaking into our lives. In John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus there says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. See, when Jesus is speaking to us, the Bible says that there, there is a life-giving power that comes forth when the Lord is the one speaking to us. And there is a spiritual dynamic that takes place. And whether or not it is someone who may be by the grace of God and gifted orator, and I don't diminish that, that that's not something that's spiritual. Whether it's someone who is a very adequate speaker or communicator, or whether it's someone who you know, God uses that fumbles over words and can't put English sentences together, or is the most monotone, dry individual... If the dynamic of the Spirit of Jesus Christ is behind what is being said, that's where we know we've heard from the Lord. And it doesn't necessarily matter so much what the conduit is. The important thing is where is the communication coming from? Is the origin of a finely arranged presentation or is the origin that that which was received from the Lord is just being delivered to us and God has spoken through donkeys in the past, and as you can see before you this morning, he's doing the exact same thing in this present age. But our heart is, hey, I really heard from the Lord. That's what I want. I know when I'm on the other side of the pulpit, I want to hear from the Lord. I want to know that the Lord with a timely word said something that I needed to hear. Jesus said in John 8 to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. The truth that Jesus speaks to us. So here's Jesus teaching. And at some point in the gathering, his heart is stirred. Notice, as he's teaching, his heart is stirred to have compassion on this woman. Verse 11 says, Behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. And she was bent over. The Greek literally uses a term there that indicates to be double bent. I know that doesn't sound English uh, accurate but by the way that grammar might go but that's literally the language that she was double bent we translate it bent over and she could in no way it says raise herself up so here we get a description of this suffering lady that was in attendance that day in synagogue 
gathering to worship Jehovah God despite her struggles personally, despite her pain that she was in and the affliction and trials in her life, she still was there assembled. And she has some sort of, it seems, severe spinal complication. Exactly what it was, we don't know. But for 18 years, she's been in this condition, it says, where she's severely bent over, no doubt staring with her face to the ground. And can you imagine the suffering that she had gone through? Can you imagine living out, put yourself for a moment in her sandals, and what it would be like to have that condition, not just temporarily, but for 18 years, to be dealing with that complication and that struggle. Again, you know, was it painful? Imagine the frustration of having to deal with that physical limitation in your life and limited function. Imagine the awkward appearance and how she felt embarrassed and a little uncomfortable around other people in public. And you know what? Perhaps this morning you've dealt with some type of a chronic condition, maybe a chronic health condition. Maybe for you it's been 10 years or 18 years or 28 years with some chronic condition and in some way it's never gone away over an extended period and you can relate and you can say, boy, I know exactly what that's like. I know exactly not only maybe the physical experience, but not only is she dealing with physical limitation and suffering, but factor in the drain on her emotions and the drain on her mind and the drain on her spirit as she has to live with this experience in her life and all the other things that go along with it and how she would wrestle like any natural human being would with the thoughts, with the questions, with the whys and the when will it ever change and will it ever change and, and trying to, to process all those things and, and the depressing and discouraging feelings through the difficulties and the trials that she would have endured for years and years as she was in this extended struggle. And the Bible also tells us here that that particular illness she was dealing with was not caused by just natural health problems alone. Do you see what it tells us there in verse 11? It says that she actually had a spirit of infirmity, a spirit of infirmity, which indicates to some extent there was somehow a spiritual source behind the effects of the physical problems that she was enduring in her life. Now, Jesus, even in verse 16, further identifies that this was a direct effect of Satan himself cruelly trying to rob and ruin her life. Do you see what Jesus said in verse 16 regarding her? Jesus actually says, whom Satan has bound. Now, though it is out of balance and completely unscriptural, to try and say that every physical sickness and form of suffering is the devil's influence. That's unscriptural and that's completely out of balance. It's heretical, quite honestly, to say that every affliction, every sickness, every suffering, it's the devil and confess it to go away and you must have sin in your life and, and, and God wants everybody to, to be in health and wealth. and pro that, that, That's completely unscriptural. However, by the same token, we do have indications in the Bible, this being one, that the devil can, in some instances, cause physical suffering to people, cause physical afflictions and trials in people's bodies. And this was the case here in this particular situation. Satan was behind what was happening. There was a spiritual source, a spirit of infirmity, it says, that actually was causing the physical complications and the suffering in this woman's body. And it does seem that there can be occasions when this could be the case. Satan had attacked her and he had bound this woman for 18 years and was holding her like a prisoner in this condition of personal suffering in her own body and then consider the depressing reality on top of that that verse 11 says that she could in no way raise herself up the holy spirit's telling us she was powerless to change things she dealt with that for year after year and continued to struggle with the reality that she was utterly hopeless to change her own situation that she had no ability, no matter how hard she probably tried as we would, to change the suffering that she was going through. Can you imagine how discouraging that would be? How hopeless you would feel? How depressed and downcast? Imagine the feelings to be utterly unable to help yourself in the thing that you're struggling with. 
Imagine dealing with a condition in your life, mental, physical, spiritual, whatever it may be, and realizing no matter what efforts and what you do and how hard you try, you cannot change what you're struggling with. That you're powerless to overcome it. You're unable to bring any change in that situation. You're incapable to resolve the struggle. And like a prisoner, to be unable to be set free what you feel that you're shackled into in this long-term problem. And unfortunately, let me just say, this is often the intention of Satan. The devil, who the Bible says wants to rob, kill, and destroy, this is exactly what he thrives upon doing, taking control of people's lives in different ways and in destructive manners trying to take control of people's lives and to destroy, to shackle people like a prisoner in different situations or in different conditions in their life that put them in misery because he wants to rob, kill, and destroy every good and wonderful thing that God wants to do in our lives. And even when we are going through a trial or affliction, then on top of that, he comes along and, and sort of just kicks us while we're down and, and just seeks to get us maybe mentally or emotionally all the more bound or constricted where we find ourselves in many different ways in this culture being imprisoned to all types of conditions. And the devil in his cruelty and his anger towards humanity wants to bring us to a place where we are just imprisoned in things that are damaging and destructive and to keep us shackled in conditions and situations and then on top of it to bring us to a spot where there is no way that we can help ourselves, Where we begin to feel utterly hopeless because we realize I can't even change things now if I wanted to. I'm powerless to, to, this has just taken control of my life. And I don't even have the ability to do anything to change it and, and to imprison us. And again, perhaps you can relate to that this morning. Maybe you have been dealing with something in your life for an extended period of time and you literally feel like you're in prison to it. And, and you realize, and I've even tried, I can't even change things anymore. I can't even set myself free from this. Maybe it's something as, as simple as, as just maybe something very wounding and painful that's happened and then just the grief and the pain and the, the animosity and the bitterness. Man, that can shackle somebody like a root of bitterness and you can't get the root out of your own heart. And the fruit of it just controls and imprisons your mind and your thoughts and, and, and you literally become a prisoner to your own thoughts and feelings. You can't get beyond something or you can't move into because you are just shackled and the devil is just enjoying you being bound as a person and he's just seeking to rob and destroy your life. Maybe it's some condition. Maybe it is a, a physical thing or maybe it's, it's some situation where, again, it's just been a condition and, and maybe no one else knows but you know. And it's just something that has control over your life and it causes you to just be bound. Maybe it is a struggle with something spiritually. Maybe it's some habit. Maybe it's some life-dominating sin. And you're a prisoner. And you're bound. And the enemy has you in a place where you realize that you are bound like a prisoner and you can't even change it now. It's out of your control. And there's nothing that you can do to get yourself free from it. And the discouragement and the hopelessness of that kind of feeling will listen. Look at what verse 12 and 13 says. It says, But when Jesus saw her, he called her to himself and said, Woman, you are, listen, loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Can I say this? Despite what Satan does, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is in the business of rescuing prisoners and releasing people and setting people free and liberating people and transforming lives from the destructive and crippling influences that can take control over all of our lives. That's what Jesus is in the business of doing. In the midst of this worship meeting, notice Jesus' attention is drawn over to this woman who's struggling the most. She's the one who we can see is hurting the most and suffering. Maybe no one else really took notice, but it says Jesus saw her Jesus saw her. He looked at her with compassion. And he saw not only, I think, the physical condition, but he saw the weight of the internal struggle that was pressing down on her emotions 
and weighing heavy on her feelings and her thoughts mentally. And he was completely aware of everything that she was experiencing. The physical struggle, the worries, the frustrations, the weariness, the wrestling of her thoughts for all these years. And you know, this morning, if you are struggling with something, maybe no other soul on this planet can relate to exactly what you are experiencing. But Jesus knows. And he understands. He understands exactly what you're wrestling with. He knows exactly what the feelings are that you're going through. He knows exactly the thoughts and the struggle and the weariness and the weight and the control. And he understands it completely. There is one who does understand. There is one who knows all and who loves you and who sees you struggling even as he saw this woman struggling and I love how it says Jesus laid his hands on her verse 12 and said to her woman you are loosed from your infirmity Jesus personally encountered this woman and by a powerful touch and his spoken word of authority Jesus liberates her sets her free from the shackles of that miserable condition she was in and releases her from a prison of long-term suffering in her life Again, I love the words in verse 13. In fact, I recommend underline them in your Bible. If your neighbor doesn't, just do it in theirs too, okay? Underline these words there in verse 13. It says, immediately she was made straight. I love those five words. Jesus touches her. Jesus encounters her. Jesus speaks to her. And it tells us there, immediately... She was made straight. That means miraculously and instantaneously the power of Jesus Christ set her free. One encounter. One moment of encountering Jesus Christ and her life was transformed. What had existed as a struggle for 18 long years in that condition she couldn't change. No one's therapy could change. No treatment was resolving. Nothing was bringing resolution or release. And when she encountered Jesus and he touched her life, immediately, it says, immediately, miraculously, the power of God, she was made straight. In an instant, everything changed. She was delivered. She was set free by Jesus and from Satan's control in this area of her life. Can I say, wow. What a personal testimony right there in the word of God of the miraculous ability of the Lord Jesus Christ to set people free, to straighten things out in our lives, to release us from things that dominate and control us, to liberate us from maybe the devil's manipulation and control over an area of our lives. What an amazing, amazing testimony, the miraculous power of Jesus. The heart and power of Jesus has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And put yourself into that story. He doesn't love you any less than he loved that woman that day. He loves you equally. He's aware of everything that you're going through personally. And he has the same power available to you in your situation today. And all he needs to do is encounter you in a personal and a real way and he can do the exact same thing in your life this morning. You need to believe that. You need to believe that. That the same Jesus can do the exact same things in all of our lives. And maybe this morning is an encouragement from the Lord to prompt you to put your faith in him and to believe Jesus for what he can do in your life and say, Lord, I believe it. Lord, would you do it in my life? I can't raise myself up. I can't straighten it out. I can't change it. But I sincerely believe you can. And I ask, do it. Do it in my life, Lord, by your miraculous power. You have nothing to lose, do you? Maybe you know somebody whose life is in a dominated bondage type situation. And again, maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's one of your children. Maybe it's, it's someone that you care about. And, and, and it breaks your heart. And you see them in this situation and you greatly desire to see, listen, bring them to Jesus and tell them, look, I know you can't fix it, 
And if I could, I would fix it. But I'm promising you Jesus can. Jesus can fix it. Let's seek Jesus and ask Jesus to fix it. And, and let them know who the liberator is. Who the one who can deliver them and has the power to help them. And notice the ultimate result of her transformed life. It says, verse 13, that when she was made straight, what does it say? She glorified God. That was the end result of this transformed, changed life. And always, that's the intended goal behind Jesus whenever he transforms somebody's life. That out of gratitude, we would be led to respond to God in a way that would glorify him. When Jesus powerfully touches our lives and you know that he set you free and you are fully aware that he's the one that delivered you from something, whether again it was a sinful habit or some life-dominating thing or, or, or struggles mentally or emotionally or even physical affliction if the Lord's will be to heal and, and set you free as it was in the case with this woman, when Jesus Christ touches our lives and sets us free and straightens us out, would you agree nobody has to tell you to glorify God? That's the natural automatic response. You know, when Jesus Christ set me free and straightened me out, and he's still working because I'm a little bent and crooked still, I'll acknowledge that. But when he straightened a lot of things out the day that I embraced him as my personal Lord and Savior and I encountered Jesus for myself, listen, nobody had to tell me, you should sing to God and give him glory. I wanted to sing to God and give him glory. It was automatic. Nobody had to tell me, you ought to give your life's energy to serve God in some way out of gratitude and response to give glory. Nobody had to tell me that. My natural inclination when I had been set free was like this woman. I wanted to glorify God because I had a reason to glorify God because I realized what he had done in my individual life. So here's this incredible transformation of a life in this synagogue worship service. Look at, at verse 14. It says, But the ruler of the synagogue, he answered with indignation because Jesus, what did he do? He healed on the Sabbath. So he, the synagogue ruler, speaks up and says to the crowd, there are six days, probably sounded something like that, six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. So rather than being thankful that lives are being helped and changed, this religious man is angry because the rules and the regulations weren't being kept and observed. And again, the ruler of a synagogue was the one who was responsible for the worship service that would happen there in the local assembly. It was his job to kind of preside over things, and sadly, his religious spirit has caused him to lose focus on what really matters to the heart of God anymore. And this religious spirit was blinding him. True, according to the law, the Sabbath was the day in which they were to cease from their regular labors and have rest, so because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, it says he's filled with indignation because in his mind, healing or helping somebody is work. And because he deemed that as work and no work should be on the Sabbath day, this activity, compassionate as it was from his perspective, this needed to be addressed and this needed to be stopped right away. Because by golly, if we don't, through his teaching ministry, more people might get helped. More people might get healed. So we better put a, put a stop to this real quick. I mean, by golly, we don't want more people to get helped. We don't want more people to get healed. So right away, you see this guy, what does he do? It tells us he kind of puffs his chest forward here, and he speaks up and in the assembly gets everybody's attention, it says, in the whole crowd, and he gives everybody, what, a good firm word of religious rebuke. And he speaks up to get everyone's attention and says there, wait a minute, there are six days on which people ought to work. You come back and get healed on them and no more of this healing stuff on the Sabbath. We won't change lives on the Sabbath. We can't be doing something like that. Now, just simple logic alone, if you don't even know the Old Testament law, causes any human being to look at and say, that is ludicrous. <laughs> That mindset is completely off base. This man, as I said at the beginning, to me, is just as much in bondage as this woman was. His bondage was just different. He was in bondage to a religious, a religious spirit that ignored the real heart of God. He was in bondage to his own thoughts. 
his own perceptions, his own wrong attitude and ideas, and he was completely ignoring what the real heartbeat of God was towards human beings that he loved. He valued maintaining religious formality over really ministering to people's needs. As you look at this account, you can see he's more concerned about rule-keeping and regulating everybody's lives instead of focusing on actually helping some people and ministering to people. He was in ministry, but he really didn't want to minister. Here he was in this situation concerned about observing matters of rites and rituals, but he shows no concern for all the people who are right in his assembly there who God loved. And this woman who's suffering tremendously in his mindset was blinded and his religious spirit was missing, as a religious spirit often does, it was missing what really mattered to God foremost. And he lacked love for the people around him, and it led to, as you can see in verse 14, him treating people without compassion and relating to people very harshly instead. And this morning, by way of application, can I challenge all of us who are here in asking the simple question, do you find yourself responding to people at times like a spiritual police officer where basically you find yourself in your spirit and attitude looking to always point out the violations in everybody's life and always by way of observation just looking for that thing that you can expose that's wrong all the time so that you can write him a spiritual ticket and be God's security officer and his police officer hey there's a violation it looks like there's a violation in that person's life and and like a spiritual police officer always evaluating what's wrong with everyone else rather than like a spiritual paramedic who says who's hurting and bleeding and who can I help to nurse back to health? Who can I find that I can assist and come alongside of? Perhaps if that's the case and you find yourself like a spiritual police officer, you might want to consider asking the Lord to set you free from a self-righteous critical attitude from an unloving attitude. 1 Corinthians 13, read the, the passage. Paul says, look, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels and I don't have love, I'm like the gong show. I'm just a noisy, irritating sound. And he says, if, you know, if I give all I have to the, to the poor and, and I give my body to the flames, sacrifice, tremendous sacrifice, but I don't have love, he says, that, that profits me and, and no one else at all. God loves people and God wants us to relieve hurting people and, and nurse people back to health and to minister to people and to serve people, not to police people like a spiritual security guard. And we can all be guilty of this at times in our lives if we're not careful. God would much rather us be like a spiritual paramedic who's helping people in their needs rather than running around like a spiritual police officer or security guard trying to control and point out all the violations in other people's lives. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. He says, above everything else, what's most important? Above everything else, have fervent love for each other. Just love each other. Because he says, love will cover a multitude of sins. It's a cure-all and a fix-all for many problems. This ruler, to me, also wants to, it seems, be recognized kind of like maybe he's a little important in front of others. Because when you evaluate and examine his response and his reactions, it appears to me he's a little more interested in indicating that he's the one in charge rather than being interested in what really were the needs of the people around him in the synagogue that day as he's kind of trying to control everything. Maybe I'm over-evaluating, but it appears to me he's almost got a little bit of an ego issue going on there. Where... He didn't want Jesus maybe getting the attention for the good work that he was doing or thinking he was somehow the big shot in that synagogue now. So he speaks up publicly, you notice, it says he addresses the whole crowd there that day. And he speaks up publicly to make his presence known as who is the proper leader in this synagogue here. And you find him pipe up and kind of give this spiritual rebuke to everyone to sort of make sure everybody knew who the big kahuna was in, in, in that synagogue there. Who was the one that called the shots? Not, not this guy. Let's remember who the big kahuna is here. And, and it seems to me he's, he's sort of harshly enforcing his authority and directing people around and almost like he's a little too focused on himself, if you ask me. A little too interested in making sure everybody knew who he was and what his image was. And again, by way of applying to our own lives, can we search our hearts? How about you this morning? 
How about me this morning? How important and essential is it to us that people know we're important? Or maybe sometimes we have to act in certain ways or we treat people in certain ways because we want to give a reminder or prove or indicate that, hey, I'm an important person and I have position, you know, and I have power, you know, and, and, and I'm, I, I'm this person. You know? And so therefore we treat people or act in certain ways almost in such a way that we need to indicate to everybody around us that somehow we are important and we want to make sure no one forgets that. And if that's the case in our lives, would God deliver us from self-love and from being self-absorbed as we all can be at times? And would we ask Jesus to deliver us from that? Because that's not according to the heart of God. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For I say to you through the grace given to me, to everyone who's among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Paul tells the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. See, that's the heart and the will of God. Jesus was manifesting that. He was putting the needs of this woman before his own and before anyone else's. The synagogue ruler manifests the exact opposite. He was upset that a woman had been helped, and instead he's concerned about himself and his own self-image, and so he's getting cantankerous and rude with everybody around him because he's concerned that maybe Jesus is going to be a little more recognized and get a little more press or something. He is, so he wait, 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 wait. There's six days. Not on the Sabbath. You, If you want to get healed... Any other day, but we will not heal on the Sabbath. And he just comes up with this ludicrous statement and really this harsh treatment of everybody kind of spoiling the spirit in the middle of this worship meeting by rebuking everyone present. Well, Jesus seeing his error and his thinking and the wrong treatment of people whom he loves, notice verse 15, he rebukes this guy in return right in front of everyone else. And he's the Lord and he has the right to do that. Verse 15 says, Then the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose or set free his donkey from the stall and then lead it away to get a drink of water? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound? He says, think of it. Think about it, he says. For 18 years, shouldn't she be loose from this bond on the Sabbath? So Jesus just reasons this out logically. It was true on the Sabbath that it was lawful, according to Old Testament law, to loose your animal, to untie it from the stall, wherever it was, and to lead it somewhere where it could get a drink of water. That was just compassionate in the hot Mideastern climate. In essence, Jesus is conveying, if you don't untie your animal and set it free from where it's bound up at in its pen or where it's tied up, and lead it somewhere where you can help it get a little bit of water and refreshment, he's saying, that's almost cruelty. If you ignore its suffering and just don't do anything to help, but he says that's an indication really that you're cruel, that you're just ignoring the situation that it's in and pointing out how it was acceptable to show compassion to their animals, and they did that on the Sabbath day. So with that reasoning in mind, he says, therefore, God loves people way more than animals. Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound? He says, think of it. For 18 years, shouldn't she be helped just because it's the Sabbath? Shouldn't she be set free from what was harming and hurting her so that her life could be ministered to? To ignore her would have been uncompassionate, Jesus says. It would have been cruel not to help her. It would have been more uh, ludicrous to not assist her. And he just uses tremendous reasoning to show how he knew how long she'd been in that condition. He knew she was bound by Satan. And he was aware of the need in her life. And Jesus wanted to deliver her. He wanted to help her and set her free from that crippling influence. And Jesus wants to loose people and set them free from crippling influences today too. Whatever they may be, perhaps it's spiritual bondage that Satan has got someone into. Jesus wants to liberate people from the crippling influence of sin and Satan's domination over people's lives. Jesus wants to liberate people and set them free from crippling influences of long-term conditions, maybe that they've been struggling with and they just can't get beyond it. Jesus wants to set people free from maybe even a wrong attitude or mindset like that ruler 
who just had a really harsh attitude and an unloving spirit, and Jesus wanted to reveal it, and I believe set him free from his egotistical and, and unkind attitude in that day there in the synagogue. And he wants to do the same in all of our lives. Look at verse 17. It says, And when he said these things... At that moment, it says all his adversaries were put to shame. In other words, Jesus' wisdom and his love and the way he conducted himself silenced all the accusations. Because of the way in which Jesus handled the works of God with such purity of heart and, and such passionate love, it, it, it really, the performance of his ministry, it just silenced all the foolish criticisms. And people could throw mud at Jesus still, but it just it couldn't stick. It was just too obvious that what they accused him of was, was really just out of character with what he represented in the way that he personally and, and publicly ministered to people with the compassion and the love of God. And the mud just wouldn't stick. It says there that when he said these things, all his adversaries, they were just put to shame. And I love the way the text ends. It says, And all the multitudes rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. The multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Take note of the end result of ministry that Jesus does. The end result of Jesus' ministry is it leads people to do what? To rejoice and celebrate about Jesus and what Jesus has done. It causes people to have all their attention and all their excitement directed to who? Jesus. It caused everyone who was present that day who experienced what the Lord did to want to look to Jesus, to rejoice over Jesus and all the glorious things that Jesus had done and that Jesus was doing. And can I say from God's perspective, I think that's a successful worship meeting. From God's vantage point, I think that is fruitful ministry when Jesus works and Jesus is glorified and people rejoice over him. And whatever may in any of our lives individually or among us corporately ever of a church, hinder us or keep us from that happening where we are giving glory to Jesus and we're rejoicing over what Jesus has done and what Jesus is doing, I pray the Lord would set me free, that he would set us free. Because the truth of the matter is this. Think about it, ladies and gentlemen. The Lord has done some really glorious things in all of our lives. And the Lord's really doing some glorious things. And because of that, we ought to rejoice in the Lord. We ought to rejoice in Jesus and give glory to Him for the great things that He's done. And if you're here this morning and you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ and you've never let Jesus straighten out the spiritual condition of your soul, can I just ask this morning, why not let Him so, do so today? If you've never let Jesus straighten you out spiritually, why not let him do it today? He's the one that does it. He just waits for us to yield and to receive what he wants to do. Jesus said this in John 8, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. But if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And this morning, if you never as a sinner before a holy God have recognized and embraced the reality that, you know what, I'm just not a sinner like everybody else. I'm enslaved to my sin. I am. I can't change myself. We can't change ourselves. We can't forgive our own sin. We can't balance out the scales with good deeds and bad deeds. Listen, if, if the Bible says if righteousness could come from the law, then Christ died in vain. The fact that Jesus came to this earth, suffered what he did as God's son, sacrificed for our sins in our place, died and rose again and shed his blood is indication there's nothing that we can do to straighten ourselves out spiritually except believe in what Jesus has done and say that was done for me. He died for me. He rose again for me. And therefore, Jesus, would you straighten me out spiritually? Would you forgive my sin? Would you set me free from what controls me in my life? Because I want to serve you. I want you to be my Lord and I want to have access to eternal life. If the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. If you want him to set you free, respond to him in your life this morning. Let's stand, let's pray. We'll have our musicians come and close us in a final song of worship. And Father, we do thank you for this time.
to seek your face in worship, to let your word and your son by his spirit speak to our hearts. And Lord, we pray that we could be responsive. Even as we sing now, Lord, take away all the inhibitions. Help us to give you the glory for the great things that you've done in all of our lives. Father, I pray this morning if there are people here who have been struggling, maybe like this woman, just crippled in some influence over their life, controlled by something, I pray this morning as we sing that, Lord, you would help them to respond to you and just to cry out to you to set them free. Whatever it is, Lord, you know, and you love them, and you have the power to do it. And I pray you deliver and liberate any of us that need that in our lives. And Father, we pray too for any who may have not yet chosen to receive your Son Jesus as Savior and Lord, that this day they would choose to put their faith in Him and respond to what He's been saying to them. Before we sing a final song, I just want to lead you in a prayer. If that's your desire this morning to receive Jesus Christ, you're ready to repent of your sin, you want to be set free, and you want Jesus' forgiveness, you want to know you're going to heaven, you say, I get it now, I'm, I'm, I'm done searching. And you want to put your faith in Jesus. I'm going to lead you in a prayer somebody did for me 20 years ago. You be sincere in your heart, believe by faith the truths that Jesus has spoken to us and pray this prayer. And today, Jesus will save you. He'll set you free from your sin. He'll forgive you and he'll give you the assurance of eternal life. You can say, Dear God, I'm sorry for all of my sin. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And I believe he's alive from the dead. Jesus, save me. Forgive me. Set me free. I want to follow you as my Lord. Help me to do that today. Fill me with your spirit. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.